Well, welcome to this discussion that we are having. Welcome to this time where we look at God's heart for those in society who perhaps we've forgotten about, the marginalised, the poor, the needy and the vulnerable. And maybe those aren't words that are particularly helpful. Perhaps we can discuss that this time. But it's great to have Rebecca. It's great to have Matt. It's great to have you here. Um, and what we're going to do is we're just going to uh, read the Bible and just open it up as a discussion to decide and to see what God's heart is for things in this and how we as a church can respond to people who, who perhaps the rest of society don't, don't quite know how to relate to. So it'd be good, guys, if you could just introduce what you do and why you do it, what is going on in terms of your jobs um, that we can know about, really. Let's start with Matt. Uh, yeah, so I'm Matt. Um, I am the lead chaplain at One YMCA, uh, which is YMCA that works across uh, beds, hearts and bucks. Uh, and my role is really um, the pastoral and spiritual support of all of our staff, our 400 staff, our volunteers and um, uh, what we call our service users, which basically encompasses uh, people experiencing homelessness, uh, families that we work with uh, in Central East Hertfordshire and young people. And um, we do that work as well in Bedfordshire. So, yeah, so it's about trying to hear God for the organisation. It's about trying to hear God for indiv individuals' lives um, as well. And part of um, what I do is about raising awareness about the issues that people we serve face. Right. Why do you do that, Matt? What got you into it? Uh, well, that's, that's a very good question. I think most chaplains feel like they fall into it by accident. Um, but certainly for me, uh, I feel it's a vocation, it's a calling, it's something that I've... Uh, I enjoy doing uh, and I've done it in different settings um, as a volunteer with Watford Town Centre Chaplaincy. I've done a bit of volunteer hospital chaplaincy as well. So it's really, I, I can really see how God uses that pastoral care and that listening um, to break through into people's lives. Um, and as Paul, Paul writes, the love of Christ compels me. So Yeah, great. Great stuff. How about you, Rebecca? So I'm Rebecca and I head up a small fundraising and communications team at New Hope which is a Christian charity in Watford, working with those who are experiencing homelessness. Great. And what, what kind of drew, drew you into that? Um, so I've worked in the charity sector my whole career, I guess. Um, before I came to Watford, I took part in a course where I spent a lot of time thinking about calling. And I realised that I very much wanted to get back working for a charity that was involved with social justice. Um, so my, most of my career, I've been involved in fundraising, communications, that kind of thing. And yeah, the job at New Hope appeared. I was looking for a job in Watford because that's where my boyfriend lived, my husband now. And for me, it's a real privilege to use my skills, which um, I think are quite different from Matt's in that I'm not working face to face with people. My skills are in writing and telling people what to do um, and possibly a bit of strategic stuff as well um, and so for me I know that I'm using the talents that God has given me um, to play my role in the bigger picture of helping people um, have their dignity restored and have hope and a new life. It's great wonderful well I think it's clear to me and this is why I've invited you to be part of this conversation is that I think you've got a lot to say that can help us in the way that we reach out and love those around us in, in the world and, and with issues of social justice and things like that. So that's great. And we're 
as you know, we're continuing a series through Acts and we reach a point in Acts 4 where we hear how the early church responded to those who were in need. So I'm going to read that now. And before we read God's words, um, it's always good to pray. So I'll pray, we'll read the words, and then we'll open up as discussion to see what God wants to say to us. So Father, we just thank you for your words. We thank you for your goodness to us in revealing yourself to us and your heart for all people. So right now, I just pray by the power of your spirit, would you open our hearts to receive everything that you have for us, that we might be the people who best represent you on this earth. May we be the church you want us to be. And so, Lord, I pray you'll speak because we're listening. So come, Lord Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read from Acts 4 and from verse 32. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement, or sorry, son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So guys, it'd be great to start with what your thoughts are on this passage. So Rebecca, we'll start with you this time. What, what are your thoughts? So this passage both excites me and terrifies me. Um, it's amazing to see generosity and community in action. Uh, it's inspiring. I'd love to be part of a church like that. Um, but then I feel fear. What does this passage mean for me and the way that I live now? Um, we live in a very individualized society. And to be honest, I'm still very much a consumer. I like buying things. I like the shiny. I like the new. And sharing and giving is hard. It's a challenge. Mm. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned to me when we first started talking about this is kind of, for instance, do we all need a lawnmower? No, that as an example that, you know, could we, could we actually share them around? And, and it's really interesting when you said that, I was thought about, um, Helen said to me, when we first got married, do you want to get a drill? I was like, don't need a drill. If I ever need one, I'll borrow one. Mm. And of course I came to needing one and I couldn't be bothered to, you know, it's easier for me to go to a shop and buy one. Um, and of course the, all the, or the using using up the the energy and the resources that we have when we buy new stuff, yeah, that made, that made me made me think of it. So yeah, it's definitely challenging, isn't it? What about you, Matt? I think um, it's it's living out for. I think for the early church, it must have been the living out of that calling that they they felt, isn't it? It's like we want to live out this breakthrough of this kingdom of God we've heard about because no no one's left behind. And there's this recognition that well, everything I have is given by God and should be used for His glory. But as we were just talking just now, I was thinking about how this is the early church. So there's a real urgency. You know, there's this belief that Jesus is, is going to come back tomorrow. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't that belief that Jesus could come back tomorrow. But if you give human beings 2000 years and a lot of space, perhaps we start planning for our retirement and buying houses and doing all these things that, that you know, society says that, that we need to do. So 
I think there is that that challenge as well on, on the micro level of what we can individually do, as, as Rebecca rightly said about you know uh, sharing lawnmowers and do we do I need to buy that thing? You know what's right before God and that. But I think there's also a sense in which well what what do I need to give up to see God's glory mm. um, happen amongst His people? Um, so there is there is always that pull to the you know every year I get my pension statement I think oh well I'm really glad the state pension exists and that God is my savior because to be frank a loaf of bread will be as much as my year's pension by the time I retire so you know you've got to have it's that that release that they must have felt to say none of it matters Jesus is coming back tomorrow yeah yeah and then being willing to give it all up um, yeah. and, and I guess we should point out that what they're not talking about here is that nobody had any individual ownership of anything but what they recognised was it's that if it needed to be given up, they would for the sake of someone else or for the sake of the work that God was doing, um, which is a, which is a real example. What we're not talking about is kind of state-run communism. That isn't the, the kind of thing that we see in the early church. So um, what do you think it means when Jesus says that he and the gospel, the good news, um, what, what does it mean when he says that it's good news for the poor? Matt, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I thought Rebecca had some really good stuff to say, actually. So I'm going to nominate her first. Yeah, go for it, Rebecca. So this comes from Luke 4. Um, if I had a time machine and I could go back to any moment in the Gospels, this is where I'd go. Um, I think it's just such a dramatic moment. I'm putting my coffee down because I get carried away. So he unrolls the scroll and he reads it. Um, so he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And then he rolls it up. You can just feel the tension. And then he says, this is me. This is me, guys. I'm the one you've been waiting for. Wow. Just what a moment. Um, just so powerful as he sort of reveals his manifesto and I think when we read it we sometimes reduce poor to mean material poverty economic poverty or even we reduce it to spiritual poverty but the situation that Jesus was talking about um, was much wider so it was to do with exclusion and if you read the whole of, of Luke's gospel you can see how in encounter after encounter, Jesus is breaking down um, those um, rules of what society said of who was in and who was out. So those that were on the outside would be the widow, would be the Gentile, the sick, those with the disability, those facing oppression. And Jesus breaks down that barrier and welcomes them in, um, just incredibly radical, and he brings wholeness and freedom and release and inclusion and grace and healing and so for me thinking now in our society who are those on the outside so the refugee the asylum seeker those in modern day slavery the victim of domestic violence those with no home perhaps those with um, severe mental health conditions and I think we could all come up with quite a long list and what does it mean that Jesus is good news for those people and I think it's looking holistically so it's that healing and provision for body and mind and soul 
And I think where, you know, the, the words that Luke uses in that passage, and, and absolutely I agree with Rebecca, it is about, you know, that Acts links back into Luke 4. But when you see Jesus using that, I mean, he hasn't, he's kind of paraphrased Isaiah, where it comes from. He hasn't done a complete, like, this is what Isaiah says. He says, this is, you know, I'm fulfilling this. And when he talks about, you know, the word, the word that Luke uses about release, you know, it's really multi-layered. So, you know, on the one hand, you've got the release from sin. But you've also, as Rebecca's been saying, you know, you've got that release from the things that hold people back from fullness. You know, the Bible would use the word shalom, you know, in the Hebrew, um, you yeah. know, to say, you know, this is about something complex that's being brought to fulfillment. This is more than just, you know, how it is today where we, you know, if you go and see uh, a medical practitioner, uh, no offense, Dan, but sometimes what you get is this sense of, you know, I come with a problem. And uh, but actually, this problem masks all these other things that are going on. Um, but you're offered a solution to the thing that's right in front of that person because that's what they're they're expert in. That's what they can do. And actually, our, all our systems are designed kind of that way. But when Jesus heals, he, it's not just the physical healing. It's not that physical restoration, but it's a, it's like a societal restoration. So, one of the examples in Luke's gospel is the lady who's been uh, has been bent over with a back problem for 18 years. Uh, you know, and Jesus says, you know, Satan's bound her over and that's you know why, why she has this problem so he he frees her from the release of, of from satan's power but she's also then uh, restored to society because she no longer has a disability in the way that, that they thought then but also she's then not you know kind of vulnerable to the to the rip-off doctors you know because you know it records that actually she spent all her money on doctors who couldn't help her so there's this there's this sense in which it is so much fuller. And the other one um, that really struck me was about where he heals the widow's son. And he, uh, not heals him, sorry, he brings him back to life. And, you know, you could see it from the point of view of, oh, well, that's great, he's brought the son back to life. Good for the son. No, 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 this is not about the son. This is about his mother. So he, you know, Jesus takes pity on her and says, well, actually, you need a protector. You need that status back. You are in, you are like, you are the, the most vulnerable of vulnerable in the society in which you live. So actually, I'm going to bring your son back from the dead so that you have opportunity for life. So I think it's I think it's that. And I love that idea in Luke of the upside down kingdom. You know, it's it's the, the poorest, those on the outside who benefit from the good news, um, not just, you know, those who might be on the inside. And in fact, often those who are on the inside, in quotes, um, quite often miss the point of what Jesus is trying to say. So, yeah. Definitely, it's about bringing the outsider in. And, and I love the examples that Rebecca gave of who we can think about today. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, guys. That's really helpful and, and also really challenging, isn't it? Because um, in some ways, there's so much more we could do. And I guess we'll come on to that. Um, but ultimately, it is Jesus who has, who has made a way for those people to come into the kingdom um, for, for each one of us. You know, we all have to recognise how poor we are before God. And when we do that, we come to God, we come to Jesus and he brings us to the Father. And when we are poor, therefore, we become rich. It's wonderful, isn't it? So um, just, on, just on that, Dan, yeah. I often think about, uh, you know, in Matthew 5, where he talks, you know, we're often called the Beatitudes, where it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So when we take our, our residents away on retreat, we often use that as an example and say, you know, let's read through these. Well, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, actually, I always give the example, if you imagine a jug of water. Now, if you're filled, is that jug is filled up with water, when you pour more water and it just sploshes over the side. But if that jug is empty and if you as a person feel like, actually, I don't I don't know who this God is, I don't know if God's got anything for me, actually you're ready to be filled. And in that way you're blessed because you can be filled up. But those who've already got it, 
the water just spills over the side. So I think in I think in that way, yeah, absolutely. That's how Jesus brings the brings his riches is to enable us to be filled up when we're empty. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, that's good. That's fine. Um, now, obviously, this passage says um, in Acts four. I mean that there were no needy among them. So is it realistic for us to expect that um, in today's society? Who's going to go first here? Maybe Rebecca again. I think it really depends. Um, so I can imagine a church in our country that has no needy persons, but that might be because it's an affluent area. Um, and that's really not the same as the interdependent church community that we see here in Acts. I'd like to think that we as a church are a community where we share one another's needs and we meet one another's needs. Um, but churches need to look out as well as looking in. We're like that circle holding hands, but looking outward. Um, so how do we how do we do that? Um, for me, not not all the time, um, but definitely some Sundays when I go to church in the days when we used to go somewhere to church, um, I would often have a sense of remembering our brothers and sisters in Christ who were in very different circumstances throughout the world, um, whether they were hungry or persecuted or grieving, um, and almost sort of carrying that weight with me. Um, and I think because we're one body, I, I think when we think about no needy persons among us, then actually for me, it's looking at the whole of Christ's body and not just those that I worship with on the Sunday morning in Bushy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's challenging. Yeah. How about you, Matt? Um, I, I agree with Rebecca. I think it depends on your definition of needy and among us. Um, I think if you look at society at large, what was it Paul says, you know, the whole creation is groaning in frustration. It's waiting for Christ to return and to make all things new. So I, I think however long I work as a chaplain, there will always be people who are experiencing homelessness um, because I think relationships will continue to break down. People will find all sorts of ways um, to plug uh, the gaps and the hurt in their lives that are not positive and are not healthy. So I think there will always be that, that need because of the human condition, but we look forward with hope to, to that being, being transformed. But I think the challenge as well is, is also as a body of believers, the among us bear, where actually, you know, what's our sign to the world? So what's different about the community of Christ compared to, you know, the local group that got set up because of COVID that helped each other out? So I think there is that, there is that call to say and to ask ourselves, how do people on the outside view how we love each other? Um, is it a radical kingdom love, you know, where everyone's cared for and provided for, for as they need? And I think, again, coming back to what we were saying earlier about the, the economic thing, I think, again, you can read that there's no one with need among them because they're selling land and they're doing this that and the other actually saying oh well there was no one in financial need but actually it's all the other needs as well isn't it Wednesday talks about body mind and spirit so I think it's that emotional support you know it's not it's not just saying oh well this person needs their car repairing or that bill paying but it's like I say it's that emotional support it's that phone call it's that standing together it's helping out with childcare. when you you know when way you're allowed to of course doing people shopping you know whatever it is you know being there and praying with people you know and, and sort of standing with them in whatever they're experiencing in their spiritual or mental health so I think there is that challenge like I said to to say well how how do the believers love each other and how is that a sign sign to the world and of course Jesus references that in other places but I like Rebecca's challenge to think about you know believers across the world I think that's really good 
Yeah, yeah. And and of course, the world recognises God in us when we love each other as as he has called us to. Um, so looking after our own means that we're then pointing other people to Jesus and, and our witness grows because they actually see a community who genuinely care about each other despite our differences and dif- uh, backgrounds and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, no, that's great. Um, so how can we be good news for the needy and the poor and the vulnerable and the marginalised in society today? Um, Rebecca, I know you've got some good thoughts on this. I could spend a whole day answering this question. Um, So I have actually two questions and then I have a thought. So my first question is about how we can do both and and. Um, A guy called Andy Flanagan, he's one of my social justice heroes. He works um, for Christians in politics and is a singer songwriter. He quotes Martin Luther King. Um, He spoke about the story of the Good Samaritan and how the church is great at looking after um, the person the Good Samaritan helps. But we're not that great, um, and there are exceptions, of going up the Jericho Road to prevent others from being robbed, helping them before they get to that stage. Mm. Desmond Tutu has a similar analogy about rescuing people from a river. We're great at pulling the bodies out of the river, but sometimes we need to go upstream, find out why they're falling in, and stop them from falling in. So I love... Um, charities and organisations that do the both and. So a really good example of this is the Trussell Trust, the Christian charity that set up the network of food banks. So obviously they're incredibly busy at the moment feeding a huge number of people, but along with that practical compassion, they're there campaigning um, on issues such as universal credit because they they don't want to exist. They're very clear that they don't want to exist. Um, So for me, there's always this question of of how do we do both? How do we address the causes of poverty and oppression and injustice, as well as that practical love of binding up people's wounds, feeding them and loving them in very practical ways? That's my first question. And my second question is just looking at who are the poor and needy today? What are the needs in our communities? I think a lot of the needs are hidden um, because people don't want to admit to having a need back to what I said earlier about we're a very individualistic society. Um, It's hard to say I'm hungry or I can't feed my children. It's a really difficult thing to say. Um, I've had conversations with people involved in the food banks in both Watford and Bushy um, telling me about, you know, they've gone to people's houses and the cupboards are empty or they've run out of toilet roll um, and how relieved they are that the food bank parcel has arrived. So there's definitely a lot of need in our in our local area. But at the same time, I don't think we can restrict our view to our corner of Hertfordshire. Um, so another Martin Luther King quote, he talks about how before you've even finished eating breakfast in the morning, you've depended on more than half the world. And I think even more now than when he said it in the 60s, there's this sense of we're of interconnection and interdependence on a, on a global scale. So how can we, through our giving and consuming, be good news to those around the world? So, you know, is my, is my coffee good news? Um, or is it causing harm? My clothes, who made my clothes? Am I causing harm to them or 
by buying these clothes am I actually bringing good news and Jesus's kingdom to a clothing factory in Bangladesh and then my so those are my two questions both and and who are the poor and needy and then I was thinking about this and I could write a list I really think I could of a hundred practical things we could all do connected with those first two points to to help those that are poor and needy but Dan's question wasn't about how do we do good news it was how do we be good news and I think over the last few years I've seen a change in myself so I'm naturally an activist um very introverted activist but I'm an activist I like to do things I like to see change I like to see things happen and I think actually how do we be good news is that we go to God and we read his bible and we we see what he says about injustice about what he says about poverty and it might read it might mean reading books in the bible that we haven't read before like Amos which is hard to understand the first time you read it it might mean looking at some um the Levitical laws that looking at Deuteronomy the books that don't sort of jump off the page at you but as you read these bits you see God's heart for the poor his hatred of injustice mm. and then that changes you that's changed me and then I think once you have a clearer idea of God's heart and your heart becomes more aligned with God's heart then ask him what he wants you to do and listen to the Holy Spirit and I think then you're doing things in partnership with God you're not doing it out of a I, I must help the poor and needy, but you're doing it in a partnership with a loving heavenly father who, and out of knowing his love. And I think that is the only way it can be done and done in a sustainable way. It has to be because we know God's love for us and we want to share that with others. Yeah, that's great. How about you, Matt? I think, yeah, I, I'm, I'm totally in agreement with Rebecca and I, I'm fired up. I want to join Rebecca and what she's doing. I think that's, that, that's exactly, you know, I'm, I'm the same. I think I, yeah, I think for me, I, when I look at the, you know, I think if you work frontline in any kind of, uh, any kind of people-based thing for a while, you start to see how permanent that injustice can be or how permanent it starts feeling like that actually there isn't anything that I can do to to affect that change and I don't I, I don't think that's true because um because actually you know as Rebecca says we're in a covenant partnership with actually with with a with a partner who's greater who's created the world and will one day renew it so we don't have to take responsibility for the whole picture because it's not ours God doesn't give us that what he does is he calls each one of us to love him as Jesus says you know greatest commandments to love love God and to to love your neighbor as yourself which of course includes your enemies as well and, and the people who perpetrate injustice um and God gives us strength strength to do that and I think there are times where actually we can walk away from a conversation like this feeling like that it's just too big you know uh and how do I how do I tackle that and I think Rebecca's given some really good examples about you know really practical ways of thinking actually is it about my coffee is it about my clothes is it what I consume but also being on the lookout for those needs in our community as well but I was thinking uh, too about um I was thinking too about our earlier bit of the conversation when we were talking about symptoms and causes and actually you know it's right that we deal with the symptoms it's right that we feed people it's right that we you know do all of that but also 
uh, go to the cause of the of the sickness, as it were, um, in the first place. Uh, and like, if it's a structural change, if it's that universal credit isn't working well, if, if it's actually that somebody's got an underlying mental health condition, which means that they don't feel valuable enough, they don't feel able to care for themselves well, then actually that's what's got to be tackled. Um, and uh, alongside making sure that they don't, you know, that they have everything they need to eat and they have the toilet roll and have all of those things. So both are really important, but I think we can easily fall into, we're just going to deal with the symptoms and not be like Christ who, who deals with it all to bring total restoration. So I think there's, mm. there's that part, part as well. And, and like Rebecca says, reading the Bible, coming to God in prayer. And I think I was reflecting on, on the question that I think I asked myself, or ask the Lord rather, which is, you know, Lord, how do you want me to, how do you want to use me today? Who can I be my light to? How can I be your light to rather? Because, because the needs are so great and because they're hidden, actually the God who sees everything in secret knows who he wants uh, to, to bless through us every day. So I think there is that part of it where actually if we want, if we're active and we're saying, okay, Lord, how do you want to use me? He'll use us um, in really surprising ways. And in some ways that are long-term about building relationship with people as well. But I think it's important too to ask the question uh, of God, what would bring this person that I'm helping that you've sent me to, Lord, wholeness and restoration, um, as well as just, you know, oh, I can see that actually, do you know what, they need to, they need to get, you know, they, they, they need to drop my, their child around my house after school one afternoon because actually that would really bless them to get to the hospital appointment. Great. But is there something else underneath that, Lord? Is there something that you are asking me to prayerfully step into for that person? Um, and to be your light in that way as well. So I think it's it's not just serving the need, but it's pointing them back to the author and inspirer of our action, who is Jesus. Yeah. Um, and we need Jesus's help to do that because that's often the scary bit. I find the doing the action bit and the helping bit easy, but making that connection for people between the action that I do and and the, the Lord who inspires that action is the challenge. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, thank you guys. Um, I've really challenged listening to you speak and inspired. And I think, you know, just to tie that up with the passage that we read earlier, the reason the apostles and the early church were able to do that was because they'd fundamentally got who Jesus was. You know, we, last week we looked at the idea that when they prayed, they prayed to the sovereign Lord, the creator of the universe, um, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So they knew him intimately. And it's from that place of intimacy that they were then able to be good news to those around them and to, to love them and to fight for the things that needed fighting for. Um, and so that's the challenge for us, isn't it, is to know Jesus more so that we can have the faith to be able to carry out his purposes in this world. I think it's worth also, something that I was reading and reflecting on as I look at, at Luke Acts, you know, as, as, as my one author, was about how actually, you know, if, if, if it's written 70 years after Jesus or however long it is, you know, a period of time has elapsed between when Jesus was there with them and when these things are written. And actually the people then needed reminding of God's call. They needed reminding to love their neighbor. They needed reminding to serve him in that way and to be challenged about how they live their lives. So I don't, so I think that's, I find that really encouraging that actually we need conversations like the one we're having today to be reminded that actually, you know, that's, that's God's call because our human condition is to, to look at ourselves um, first and foremost and put ourselves, you know, in the center of the universe. Um, and of course there are times where, where we you know looking after ourselves is absolutely important because otherwise we're not used to anybody else, but, but actually that's, 
you know, got like, I love that picture Rebecca said about the church, you know, holding hands in a circle, but facing outwards as well, uh, as well as looking after each other. So I think we can take great comfort from when we read Acts, actually, this is a church that's being challenged in the, you know, by the same author who, who writes all these amazing things that Jesus did. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you guys. We'll, we'll draw a line under it there. And I think what we should do is let's just, let's just be still for a moment and invite the Holy Spirit to reveal to us kind of, what a well firstly how can we draw closer to jesus to get his heart and then and then what can we do to help carry out his purposes let's just be still and then i'll hand over to to me live to to carry on with the rest of the service let's just be still inviting the holy spirit